0: Uh, this morning, uh, you know as, as, as a person individually and i 'm sure the same with you, there are certain things uh, uh, that when i 'm going to eat food uh, that uh, whether it 's hot or cold, uh, I prefer it uh, uh, sometimes when it, when it, uh, on a cold day, I prefer hot coffee. I know lots of folks like cold coffee, but you know iced coffee I like hot coffee. Uh, On an ice cold day, and you know, in food, when it comes to food, for instance, like sushi, uh, I prefer to have sushi cold and not lukewarm, because how many know it can be dangerous? Lukewarm, get it, get in real big trouble having lukewarm sushi, and so uh, there are certain times when we understand our preferences and what our tastes prefer. I read about this wife who texted her husband on a cold, freezing winter morning. And this is what the text read. Windows frozen, won't open. The husband texted her back, gently pour some lukewarm water over it, and then gently tap the edges with a hammer. A short-time lady, the wife texts back ten minutes later and said, The computer is really messed up now. You'll get it in a few minutes. (laughs) Lukewarm is never really good, especially when it comes to computers. I want to look with you this morning at the church of Laodicea. The church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation is called the lukewarm church. And we're going to go ahead and read our text in Revelation chapter 3, and starting with verse um, 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you or vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined in the fire, so you can become rich and white clothes to wear, so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and... I have to put on your eyes so you can see to those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice opens the door I will come in and eat with that person and they with me to the one who is victorious I will give the right to sit with me on my throne Just as I was victorious and sat down with my Father on his throne. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church at Laodicea was the last of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to in the book of Revelation through the Apostle John. It was a revelation that God gave him to give to the angels or the pastors of those seven churches. The city of Laodicea was located in what's known today as modern Turkey. And so Jesus begins the message by identifying who he is as he's speaking uh, through uh, the Apostle John. He's called, he says, I'm the, the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And so when he says he is the Amen... Amen is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word for certainty or truth, so that the words that he is going to speak to this church, and he spoke to the other six churches, uh, are not opinion, uh, or they're not based on on what uh, society feels is truth or not truth, but he says he is the Creator of heaven uh, and earth, and uh, he is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and uh, the life. And so he's speaking truth to this church like he speaks to you and I. Don't you love uh, the truth of God's word? We need to love the truth of God's word. And so Jesus says he is the source and that we can trust his word and depend on him completely. And then he says, I am the faithful and the true Witness, The faithful and true witness. And what we need to, to grasp this morning is that Jesus is uh, all-knowing. He's all-seeing. The faithful witness. He witnesses everything. And He sees uh, right through us. And He sees our lives. And we need to take heart. To what God is saying, because sometimes we live our lives as though Jesus isn't looking or he's not witnessing uh, what's taking place in our lives. And we need to keep that reality, and that's what he's doing uh, for this church, because there are some issues uh, that we're going to take a look at that are taking place in their lives. And then he finalizes and says, But he is the creator, he rules and he is the creator of what God and, and, and the, the, the caretaker of God's creation. In Colossians chapter 1, and in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and are in the earth, visible and invisible, Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created. Through and for Him. And so, what Jesus is trying to say to this church is that, uh, as we're going to look this morning, is that I know you've started to depend on other things uh, to meet your needs and other avenues of life to begin to provide for you. But don't forget, He says, I created all those things. I am uh, the Creator. And you need to never stop depending on me for your needs. And so what happened is the Laodiceans uh, came to a place where they thought that uh, they could uh, get past Jesus' eyes. that He would not uh, uh, notice uh, how they were living their life or the things that now uh, were now controlling their lives. And so he was trying to let them know, look, I know what's going on in your church and I know what's going on in your church life. And so he speaks to them and tells them the truth. What is the truth? Well, he decides what is true and not, and here's the verdict that he reached concerning uh, this church. In verse 15 he says, I know your works. I know what you're doing, both as individuals and as a church. But you're neither cold or hot. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold or hot. I wish you were cold or hot. I've entitled this, this message, if it's not already up there, Hot or Cold? Make up your mind. Which one is it going to be? As we serve Jesus, because uh, I don't want the in between. Because the in, we, we can't, you know, there's a song I think that's called Mr. In Between. And, and God doesn't want us to be that in-between Christian. And he says they were not hot. Their zeal, their passion, their enthusiasm for God and serving God was gone. Why? Because they got wrapped up in pursuing the world and uh, 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 wanting to please the world rather than wanting to please Jesus. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 4, he begins to describe the last days and, 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 and the mindset of those in the last days as uh, they're nearing the end of time. And he says, these are the ones that are going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now here's the, 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 the killer right here. Holding a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from these, turn away. And this is what what, uh, God was saying to the church. He said, you have a form of godliness, but he says, I wish that you were hot or you were just turned off completely and cold, but you're going through the motions. You're, You're playing church. And he says, because of that, It makes me sick. The Apostle Paul speaks to us in the book of Romans in chapter 12. And in verse 11, and he says that we should not be lagging in diligence or fervor or zealousness, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent, burning, on fire. Remember when you were on fire for Jesus? You still are, aren't you? They're still on fire for Jesus. I remember the the, the cholo play, when 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 uh, I forget who it was. One 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 of the one of the, the cholos got saved, and he's going to church now. And there's a phone call, and, and I think it was actually, um, uh, so, yeah. They, anyway, they were they were they're making a phone call, and she's telling him about about uh, uh, the, the kid that got saved. And she goes, "Yeah, he's on fire." I think Rachel was the one that was the voice on that, right? There she is. As a voice. And she goes, "On fire, well you better put him out." You know, that's what God wants us to be. Is on fire for him. Not playing church or uh, Mr. in-between or Mrs. in-between, but zealous, fervent, uh, and passionate for the things of God. That's what Paul says. Having a zeal for coming to church, not looking at it as a drudgery or as something that is getting in my, my way. Serving God having a zeal to help people and, and, and see what you can do for the kingdom of God and serving in the kingdom of God, not look at it as a, a drudgery. And he says they weren't even cold. They were fence sitters. Sitting on the fence, they called on Jesus when it was convenient, no longer really had time to serve God, to go to church and help other people. And They, they refused to recognize that they were in that cold, backslidden condition. No longer wanted the truth of the amen. Their trust was now in the God of this world. And so Jesus said, because you're neither hot nor cold, he says, what you really are now is lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. And what, what God is referring to is that in Laodicea, the water came uh, uh, from a mineralized hot spring, and uh, that hot spring had great medicinal value, but it contained sulfur, gave it a terrible taste and a smell, and it caused some people to vomit. Lukewarm means moderate, tepid, lacking conviction. In other words, they were now indifferent to the Holy Spirit and the conviction of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That when they came to church, no longer was it impacting their lives or causing them to look inside to see what was, was needed to be changed, but they just let it go in one ear and out the other. They lacked conviction. They were tepid in their relationship with God. They had to take it or leave it attitude when it came to serving Jesus. Half-hearted in their service and in their love for God. You see, a hot drink on a freezing cold day is perfect. Or a nice cold drink on a hot day is refreshing. But lukewarm is neither perfect, nor it's refreshing. It's just plain disgusting. And Jesus said, you disgust me you make me want to spit you out he said your lifestyle your lack of zeal and enthusiasm for me make me sick so the question this morning that we have to ask ourselves is is it possible to be religious to have a form of godliness and at the same time be repulsive to Jesus I think that's what Jesus is saying. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, and in your name have cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. And he says, and that I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. You see, it was towards the end of of our text this morning that uh, to the book of uh, or the church of Laodicea, that Jesus gives them the reason for his rebuke. He gives them the reason that he is bringing to their attention these issues uh, that are tearing them down. He said, I'm saying these things because I love you. And this morning we need to realize that God speaks to us through his word And when his word convicts us and shows us those things uh, that are wrong, shows us the condition that we are in uh, that might be or could be lukewarm, he's doing it not because he's angry or mad or hates us, but because he loves us. Just as a parent loves their child uh, when they correct them, it's not that you hate them, but it's that you love them. And you want the best for them. And so God forbid that we find ourselves in a place where we are no longer zealous for the things of God. And no longer need the truth or want to hear the truth of God's word. Because they said to themselves, we have arrived and are in need of nothing. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 13. He says that I have not myself have apprehended all that God has for me. In other words, he hasn't arrived yet. That's the Apostle Paul. And that he understood there were still things in his life that he needed for God to do. And he continued to press on to the goal that God had for his life. And the problem is that when we think we have arrived in the things of God, And we no longer need to hear God or no longer need to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We think we've arrived. We will never reach the place that God wants to have us be at. We'll never reach the blessing that God wants to bring into our lives. We'll never attain that which God has for us because we feel we have already reached uh, our peak. Paul was never content to stop growing and maturing in Christ, but he was always zealous for God. He understood that every day there was a battle that he had to fight over temptation, fighting off the strategies and the wiles of the enemy, the influence of an evil society in his day. And it works the same for you and I this morning. We are living in a society that is filled with deceit and and evil. And we should never think we've come to a place where we need to stop resisting those things uh, according to the Word of God. Because when we reach that point, we have come to a place where we stop maturing, we stop growing, uh, and then we start to become uh, more and more like the world instead of being different than the world. Paul fought, as he writes in Ephesians chapter 6. He waged war spiritual warfare against the spiritual wickedness uh, that he was surrounded by. He was still running his race, and so are you and I. We had a wonderful service, memorial service, yesterday, and uh, we honored uh, a man of God, uh, uh, Pastor George Garcia, and he was a man of God who finished his course and ran his race. We appreciated uh, that man of God, to faithful to the end. And this is what God has for each and every single one of us to have that said about us, faithful to the end. So what was the problem? What caused them to not understand these truths that that Jesus is trying to speak to them? Well, the word is self-deception. Would you repeat that? those two words with me? Self-deception. In verse 17, Jesus says to them, because you say, I am rich, and I have need of nothing. You see, the worst kind of deception today is self-deception. Because we've come to a point where we begin to lie to ourselves, thinking, saying that everything is fine, everything is okay, and I don't need any help. The Laodiceans were blind to their own spiritual condition. They deceived themselves as to how far they had sunk into lukewarmness and spiritual lethargy and indifference. They said, we need nothing. We don't need you anymore, Jesus. You see, they began to measure their spiritual condition and temperature by their material wealth and the worldly success. The farmers in that city of Laodicea, the sheep farmers bred a specific type of sheep. And uh, the type of wool that those sheep uh, uh, brought or grew was a violet, almost black-colored wool. And it was specific, and it was unique and special, and it was costly, and all the surrounding cities flocked to Laodicea for that kind of clothing that was made by that specific kind of wool. They were known for their clothing. Laodicea was always uh, also known as a medical hub. They had one of the largest schools of ophthalmology. They developed a tablet that when crushed and mixed with their mineral water created a paste that when put over the eyes brought healing to a variety of different eye problems. And people flocked from all the surrounding areas to them for those medical uh, healing. The church had a spirit of self-satisfaction which was dangerous as God was speaking to them in their relationship with God and trusting God and depending on uh, the Lord. They forgot where their prosperity and provision came from. They forgot who blessed them, the creator of heaven and earth and all that is in the earth. And they began to look at their own selves as the provision for their wealth and their success. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is that have we forgotten where our blessing and prosperity have come from. Have we forgotten who the one is that gave us the health to go to work, to earn the wages, who gave us the wisdom to accomplish what we have educationally? Who gave us uh, the the direction to be able to, whether it is start a business or be in charge of a business or be in charge of people. Have we forgotten where that has come from? The church of Laodicea did. God says to them, you think you know who you are, but you don't. Because I am uh, the faithful and true witness. God saw right through them. And that they were spiritually decaying in spite of what they thought they were, self-deception. They refused to look at themselves through the eyes of the Lord and started comparing themselves to other people. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, Prove yourselves doers of the word, or test yourself." and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away and has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." And that's what it is when we refuse, when God speaks to us, the Holy Spirit brings conviction into our lives about those areas that are not right, those things that we, we delude ourselves or deceive ourselves into thinking are okay but not okay according to the Word of God. He says, uh, it's not the state to be in. He says that those things are the things that cause you to drift away from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want to tell you the truth. This is the truth. He says to the church at Laodicea, you're wretched. Wretched. That word wretched means despicable, inferior, desolate. We stop and think about the love of God and we understand God loves us and that none of us in here are perfect and that we are all sinners saved by grace and there's still a lot of work to be done in us. How many can say amen? amen. Yeah, none of us have arrived. We agree on that. There's nothing wrong with that. We understand that. That's okay. But what's not okay is when we think we have arrived and that we self-delude ourselves thinking that that everything is perfect now and uh, Nothing needs to change. But we need to listen to the truth of God's Word. And when God says, we are wretched, well then we better say, "Uh uh-oh. Maybe there's something to what God is showing me. Maybe Maybe there's something to what the Holy Spirit is convicting me about. Paul was able to, to say those kinds of things to himself in Romans chapter 7 and verse 24. The only other place that the word uh, wretched that we, is written in the New Testament. This is what he said. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Think about it. Paul knew he was wretched. Do we know that we are wretched? Yes, <gasps> Don't say that to me, Pastor. How dare you? (laughs) The apostle Paul knew he was wretched. He was despicable. He was uh, inferior. You see, it's... And I'm not talking about self-emotional abuse. Oh, I think I'll lead... I'm a worm. You know, I'm a maggot. You know, I'm lower than the lowest of the earth. You know, there's stuff. God's not talking about self-pity. But what he's talking about is being real. You know, today everybody wants, I'm being real, dude. You know, everybody wants to be real. Everybody wants a real thing, you know. But we need need to want the real thing when it comes to what God's saying about us. Because God's always real. God is always real. And he wants to show us those things uh, that might be wretched, Paul saw himself, not through his own eyes and what he thought of himself, because how many know we're like the public and, you know, God, this, this other guy over here, this, this dude's, a, you know, he's a sinner, you know, you know, have mercy on him. But look at me, you know, I'm so great. You see, that, that guy was looking at himself through his own eyes. Paul says, I'm not looking at myself through my own eyes. I'm looking to myself how God sees me. And what God is saying to me right now at this time in my life, fix it. Fix it. What spiritual condition are we in this morning? Paul checked himself out. And so we need you every day as we read the Word of God. That's why you need to read God's Word every day. Not just when you come to church. Read it every day. Set yourself a time schedule, wherever that might be, however long that might be. Read your word, because it'll begin to show us things in our life that God wants to bless. God wants to heal. God wants to do. God said, not only are you wretched, you're miserable. Wow. He's not pulling any punches. Word miserable literally means pitiable. And that's one version of the scripture we read. Dismal, unhappy. The people who lived to see it probably thought they should be envied because they had everything. They had the fashions of the day. They, they had the, the medicinal uh, properties and, and, and uh, medicines of the day. You know, they were rich. They had all the prosperity that those things brought in. And they probably thought people should envy us. But God says, you're not to be envied, you're to be pitied. You are miserable because you're lukewarm. You see, today people can have all the wealth and the success of this world. But if Jesus is not, then there's nothing wrong with having wealth, nothing wrong with having success. God's Word says He wants to prosper us. He says, I will give you good success. I believe that's what God's Word says. But! In all of that, if we leave Jesus out of the center of our prosperity and success, then we are missing the mark. We are missing the mark. And then God says they were poor, blind, and naked. Man, I thought he was done at miserable. But he, he just keeps on going. He says, Not only are you wretched and, 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 and you all the rest of it and and, and miserable. You're poor, blind, and naked. So he says, let's get down to the cure. How many want the cure? (laughs) You know, when the doctors go, you go to the doctor, and he says, okay, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong, this is what's wrong. He says, okay, you can go now. And you walk out of the doctor's office and goes, oh, man, that was a bummer. Now what? No. What he does is he says, okay, you know, yes, as a Christian, we pray, etc. and so on. But here are some things that might help you to make you better, to, to, to heal that sickness in your body. And so God doesn't just come and call us names and 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 you know, weigh, put all these things on us and make us feel like worms, and you know that what's the use? But he says, Okay, so now this is what you need to do to get better the cure. What's the cure? Well, the cure is repentance. Repentance. In verse 18, he says, I counsel you, or I'm directing you, or I'm giving you advice. To buy for me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. He says, you think you're rich? You think you've achieved? You think you've made it? No, you got the wrong kind of riches. See, this was a shot at this church that bragged in this, that about all the wealth that they had. Job says, But he knows the way that I take. When God has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, what Jesus was saying is the true riches is when we allow God to refine us, To purify our character. To purify our lives. To become more like him every day. Those are the true riches uh, that we need to be seeking after. And he wanted to counsel this church. You're heading in the wrong direction. Because what God had to offer to them. The true riches were more valuable than what they deemed to be uh, valuable. And what they deemed to be successful. Successful. Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, 7, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, who, having not seen you love. Even though we haven't seen Jesus yet, We're not standing face to face with him yet that we should seek after that genuineness of faith. Precious, more precious than gold that perishes. And how is it made more precious, our faith? Through trials and through testing in our lives. Don't trade that precious time we have with Jesus and serving Jesus for things that are just gonna rust, be stolen, or perish. He says, as our music ministry makes their way up this morning repent from the spiritual neglect. He says, put on white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Another shot at their designer and fashion industry. He says, you think you're clothed with fine clothing? He says, you're naked. He says, uh, your nakedness is being revealed. Your lack of spiritual growth and maturity and love for me is visible. And he says, repent so that you can see I can show you the condition that you're in. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. They thought they had the medicine to cure cure people's eye problems. Well, they might have had it physically, but Jesus is a better healer than any medicine. We know that but he was talking to them spiritually now I'm talking to you spiritually he says because spiritually you are blind to what's going on in your life and I want to correct that blindness Paul writes in 2nd Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 examine yourselves as to whether or not you are in the faith test yourselves Do you not know yourselves that Christ lives in you unless indeed you be disqualified? So that's what this is about this morning is to check to see if we are deluding ourselves in a state of self-deception. If we are lukewarm going through the motions of christianity plain church and in verse 19 he says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent change your course turn around confess Those areas in your life that are holding you back or holding you down. Can you imagine getting a letter today in your mailbox from Jesus? Addressed from heaven to you. And when you open that letter, it says, Dear, and fill your name in. You make me sick. You think you have everything, but you have nothing. Signed, Jesus. How would that make you feel? I tell you how it would make me feel. The way I feel right now in this room. What you sense this morning as we all take a look inside it. Those areas that we might need to repent of, those things. And so he gives the invitation as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed this morning.